如思念。Walk in with the crowds, walks these streets at sundown. Now they cry for
Hello everyone, welcome to Soul Revival Digital on a Sunday. Uh, we've just been reading a few books here. Uh, I'm checking out uh, Leading Lawyers Look at the Resurrection. So I'm sure that'll be um, all on your nightstands very, very soon. Get that off Amazon. Uh, I'm also joined here on the panel by Joy. Hello Joy, how are you? Uh, hello, how are you going? Good, thank you. Now you have a book that you're reading there. Yes, I'm, uh, I'm reading Spot Goes to the Circus. It's very, very uh, enthralling read. <laughs> enthralling read. Is that yes. after Paul spoke about it last week? You thought you had to get it? Well, I thought we, the way he spoke so passionately about it, I thought, oh, I've got to have a read of it. <laughs> okay. it sounds, so, like, sounds like you're making fun of him. Oh, he spoke so passionately about oh, it. Oh, he did. I thought it was, oh, I want to have a look. Look, this has got great pictures. Great pictures. It flaps. Well, the flaps. Yep. He's looking for his ball inside a lion's mouth. That's always where it's going to be, isn't it? Yeah, but he can't Best see it. Oh, excuse me. Best place to look. I just had grilled for uh, a meal. Sorry about that, guys. I won't tell you what type of da- time of day it was, just so you don't get confused. Breakfast. Breakfast. Lunch, <laughs> dinner. Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's right. Um, I'm also joined on the panel by Fiona Simons. Thank you very much for joining us. How Thank are you? Thank you. Yes, really well. Now, just make sure you talk into that microphone so oh, everyone yes, can sorry. hear you. Really, really well. Yes, that's right. Uh, <laughs> good job. Um, you have a book there as well, which I think yes. is a bit more serious than the two books that we've yes. been looking at. Yes, I don't know, this is pretty serious. <laughs> I've got a book here written by um, a beautiful sister in Christ that lots of us will probably know, yep. um, Marion Brown. Marion has spent a lot of time over in um, Pakistan and Afghanistan. Wow. And um, she's written a book called Tell, Me, I, Tell Them I'm Alive. And it's a beautiful, um, easy read. It's a, um, with lots of rich truths in there. Um, she's written it um, in a way that she she wants to um, let people know that she's like um, just a normal everyday person, but she's gone to share the love of Christ in in Afghanistan. So mm. yes, it might be timely. We've I know there's lots of praying going on at the, um, Afga- the situation in Afghanistan at mm. the moment. So. Mm. Have you read it? Yes. Oh, can you tell tell, tell us your your favourite part about it? Oh. Um, there's lots of favourite parts. <laughs> I think that, that's a bit harsh because it is a really awesome book. It is a really awesome book. Oh, wow. I'm sorry. And, and, and um, Marion's pretty, like, an amazing person. She's an amazing Like, she's, so, she's phenomenal and an amazing prayer as well. Mm. Like, very gifted. Yep. Yeah. Um, Marion was privileged enough to um, be able to live um, for a while in Quetta. So, she got to know families and first-hand experiences of the persecution that's happening, but also the faithfulness. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, a lot of it's quite private. So, um, yeah. It you don't want to share too much right now. You don't want to share too much right now. No, oh, but I, we do suggest that you can purchase it um, from Kurong. Mm. And yeah. There you well, go. Well, uh, we could also say, everyone, that um, while you might like to look at leading lawyers, look at The Resurrection or Spot or uh, Marion's book, We'd love to see if you've got any recommendations of books that you've been reading during this time where we're actually having to stay at home a fair bit more. Uh, I'm currently reading a book called Titan, which is a biography of John D. Rockefeller, which is very interesting. Um, Some interesting Christian um, uh, motifs in that as well, how he was very connected to the Puritan movement and all that kind of stuff. So drop in the comments the books that you're reading now or something that you've read recently so everyone can get on board, whether it's Christian or not. And uh, we'd love to hear about that. But we are going to return very soon with um, one very special guest. Welcome back. It is great to see you. I'm joined by Fee. Welcome back, Fee. Thank you. 
Thank you. And our friend Lionel. G'day, Lionel. Hi, Tim. Hi, Fee. Hi, everybody. <laughs> Lionel, it's um, it's really good you were here. You weren't with us last night, but we did get to meet your mum. I was there, Tim. You were there as yes, well? Yes, oh, with excellent. my mum, Mrs. Lionel. Fantastic. Mrs. Lionel, as, uh, for those who may not have seen Saturday Night, you can go back and watch Saturday Night and meet Mrs. Lionel as She's well. She's amazing. She is pretty amazing. Yep. She, uh, she thinks pretty highly of you, Lionel. Yep. Yep. Even if she would like you to clean a little bit more occasionally, not just on the weekends. But the weekends are the best. <laughs> the weekends are absolutely the best. It is great to have a weekend. Um, Fee, how are you spending your weekends at the moment as a family? Oh. Cleaning! <laughs> We've been enjoying our fire pit, which has been great. And Wow. Um, yeah, we're just very grateful that we've got a backyard and putting some veggies in and... Just enjoying that. Fantastic. Is that so you don't have to eat the veggies? Yes. You just put them in the backyard. That's right. That's so we can try and hide them in your food line. That's a great idea. I'm going to hide mine in the backyard too. <laughs> I think your, uh, your mum might have something to say about that one. Hopefully um, she's not watching. Yeah, don't, yeah. Hi, Mrs Lionel. Um, Hi, Mum. <laughs> uh, other than cleaning, Lionel, what else are you doing with your weekends? Um, I'm riding my bike. Yep. I'm... Going on long walks. Oh, that's good. Excellent. Yep. <laughs> um, excellent. Uh, it'd be great for uh, if you uh, crew if you want to write in the comments. What are you guys doing on the weekend? It'd be great to see it on the Facebook feed um, as you watch this. Um, this as we head into the Bible reading next, we're going to be thinking about Hebrews seven and eight. Um, and can you remember anything we've talked about so far in Hebrews, Lionel? You remember back in the last previous weeks? Jesus is best. Jesus is best. That's right. Better than all the rest. Better than all the rest. Even Tina Turner. Who? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, 80s reference. So, um, I'm not that old. Are you? Oh, nah. you, you look, you're looking old. Hey, it's my birthday next week, though. Oh, that's fair. It's my birthday next week, too. Yay, Yay! We can be birthday buddies. We can. That's great. I'm looking forward to that. I'll share my birthday with you. Yeah. Um, so as we have been looking at Jesus being the best, we looked a couple of weeks ago, actually, we talked about Jesus being uh, the best high priest. You remember being dressed up with Amy? Yes. That was pretty cool. That was the best outfit I've ever, ever, ever had. It was pretty cool. Well, so in today's Bible reading and sermon, we return back to that same theme, that Jesus is the best high priest. And I've got one verse from Hebrews to read out that kind of summarizes this section. It says that Jesus, um, he is better than any other high priest because he doesn't need to offer sacrifices each day for his own sins. He offered a sacrifice once and for all when he gave himself because Jesus himself died on the cross and then proved that he was God by rising from the dead. He is the best high priest. He is better than all the rest. Wow. What do you reckon, Fee? Yeah, I think that I, I agree. Definitely. It's pretty good news, isn't it? Best news. Well, it'd be great for you at home to grab your Bible out, open it up to Hebrews 7 and 8, uh, and we're going to hear from the Bible reading right now. Yay! Bye! See ya. All right. Hey, guys. Um, so what we get to do now is um, read the Bible. Um, it is the most important thing that we do here at Soul Revival, whether that's 
online or in church itself. Um, it's great we can do it anywhere though. So we're going to be reading from uh, Hebrews 8 verses 1 to 13 today. So uh, jump on board and um, we'll take a, take a look through it now. Now the main point of what we are saying is this. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not by a mere human being. Every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices, and so it was necessary for this one also to have something to offer. If he were on earth, he would not be a priest, for there are already priests who offer the gifts prescribed by the law. They serve at a sanctuary that is a copy and a shadow of what is in heaven. This is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle. See to it that you make everything according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. But in fact, the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is mediator is superior to the old one, since the new covenant is established on better promises. For if there had been nothing wrong with the first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people and said, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors, when I took them by the hand, when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they did not remain faithful to my covenant. And I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbour or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive the wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. Welcome back, everyone. Uh, I'm joined on the panel. Oh, I should say thank you very much to Tim for doing that Bible reading for us. And uh, joined on the panel again by Fiona and Stu Crawshaw. How are Hello, you? Hello, Joel. It's very nice to have you here. It's good to have. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to be here. Is, <laughs> is it good to be here? For you? It's <laughs> <good> to be here. <laughs> <laughs> um, Stu, you're going to tell us about one of your favourite Bible characters. Yes, we're going to have a look at how Jesus is like Melchizedek today, and I'm excited about. Uh, this character and we're going to have a bit of an explore on who he is today and why that helps us to understand who Jesus is and how he is better. Yeah, I think um, I think we were saying on the Saturday night version that um, Mel- he he turns up in um, Genesis, Melchizedek. Yes, Genesis 14 and onwards and Psalm 110. And we're going to look today briefly at how some people are trying to work out who is this guy and why did he pop up. And so some of the intertestamental writings, uh, some of the Jewish writings, they were trying to work out what was the point of Melchizedek. And uh, what the writer of the Hebrews is saying today is, well, the best reason to, the, the best way rather to understand Melchizedek is to see how he makes the ministry of Jesus clearer. That's why he's there. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, Fee, have you uh, been reading Hebrews? 
Uh, yes. Oh, well, I have. I've been following along with the sermon. And <laughs> oh, sorry. That's a no. That's a no. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. We found it really encouraging last week uh, about um, the cautions, the gentle but serious cautions mm. in, in the Bible about um, falling away and how important it is, especially in this time where we're not meeting together, to try and stay in God's word and to, to try and connect and check in with one another. Yeah, and I think you also shared that you, you're reading 1 Peter as well, is that yes, right? Yes, we, um, we've been doing 1 Peter in Bible study, which oh, has cool. been really encouraging and just talking about God's compassion and how it's a really, it can be, it's quite a tricky time for lots of people at the moment and how um, we God just likes us to be able to sit with him in, in our pain and understanding that. He also shares in the joy and everything we face. Mm, I think that's like pretty applicable to a current situation. Obviously, to be able to go, oh, okay, well, I need to. There's a lot. There's a lot going on at the moment. Maybe I just need to take pause and try and see what Jesus is trying to tell me. So, mm. is that um, that's probably something that the writer of Hebrews is trying to communicate to the um, his audience as well. Is that mm. right, Stu? Yeah. So the the writer in these passages is encouraging us to move from the old covenant to the new. So it's a good reminder to continue to embrace the new that Jesus can give us. Yeah. Um, out with the old, in with the new. Let's hear it. Okay. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thanks. Well, on that topic of out with the old and in with the new, I thought I'd just start off today by sharing some memories of how uh, I've been through times of change in the past that have obviously not been as dramatic as the times of change we're living through now. But those of you who are as old as me might remember there was a bit of a transition between the 1970s and the 1980s. Well, at least in my mind there was. Uh, best uh, symbolised by the change in music styles from the 1970s to the 1980s. And just to illustrate my point, I was, I was actually inspired by Paul last week as he had a prop, so I thought I might bring a prop along today to, to illustrate my point as well. <laughs> Mine's not quite as cool as Paul's when he was looking at Spot the Dog. But this is my first record that I bought in the 1980s uh, called Raiders of the Pop Charts. I don't know if you can see that oh, there. Please. Can you see that there, Raiders of the Pop Charts? It's actually a really cool album because not only is it um, an album, which is a bit rare these days, mm -hmm. but it's a look at that. Ooh. It's kind of got a bit of a, a Raiders of the Lost Ark theme, and uh, that's pretty cool. Anyway, I thought <laughs> I'd use it. Why am I using it? I thought I'd use it to just illustrate how the early 1980s was a time of transition from one to the other. So on this record, you've still got uh, artists like Marvin Gaye from the 70s, Earth, Wind & Fire, uh, you've also got um, the Steve Miller band, but you've also got, that, they're sort of some of the old bands from the 70s, but you've also got some new bands coming along like Men at Work, uh, you've got um, the Angels who will become a mainstay of the pub scene in the 1980s, and uh, a, re, re, uh, a redesigned Michael Jackson who's completely redesigning himself in the 1980s. So <laughs> this, this is a bit of a transition album, like going from one to another, but... Um, the reason I wanted to say that is I remember that it was a bit hard to get the style right when you first started in the 1980s. It was hard to get the idea of what was happening with the change. It took me a little while to work out things were changing because of the crossover. There was all the things blended together. And then I started to realise that the fashion had changed. And when I realised fashion had changed, it was when I was in year seven or year eight, can't remember, um, I was still wearing pants that were like bell bottoms and we used to call them flares in that in the 70s and I was wearing these flares to school and one of my mates said man you can't keep wearing those to school and so I went home and I said to mum I can't wear these pants anymore and I remember my mum saying 
they're perfectly fine. Like they're not worn out at all. What's wrong? I said, no, no, the style's changed. It's like narrow legs now, not like not you know. And I've got to wear the right thing. And she's like, anyway. So that is a good example for me on sometimes something can change and you can miss it, or sometimes there can be a change and you try and blend it with the past, but it didn't work at high school to try and blend the 1970s and the 1980s. You needed to make a clear cut from the 70s and move into the new thing, and that's what we're looking at today in Hebrews. What we've got in chapter 8 of Hebrews is the writer of the Hebrews is re-looking at this idea of Jesus being the great high priest. Now, we've already had that introduced to us earlier in Hebrews a few weeks ago. We talked about how Jesus is our great high priest. And here, the writer is picking that motif up again, and he's going deeper into this idea of Jesus being our great high priest. Have a look with me uh, at chapter 8 of Hebrews, starting at verse 1. And we're going to see that the writer here, as he's talking about a high priest, is Jesus is a new high priest who's bringing in a new era. And you've got to leave the old era behind. It's like leave the 70s, move into the 80s. This is leaving the new, uh, sorry, the old covenant for a new covenant, the old agreement with God that he had with his people for a new one. And the reason for it is because Jesus is the new high priest and he's greater than the old covenant. So let's have a look at this. Now, the main point we are saying is this. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven and who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle set up by the Lord, not made by mere human beings. So who is this high priest that we have here, Jesus? He says, we do have such a high priest. Now in that phrase, we have a such a high priest, he's referring back to chapter 7, where the writer is describing the greatest high priest to date. Now, when you hear that phrase, the greatest high priest, your, your mind probably goes to may, maybe Aaron, who is the first high priest of the people of Israel. Moses appointed Aaron to be the one who would offer sacrifices for the people in the tabernacle that was the tent that the people made with the uh, Holy of Holies uh, that had the Ten Commandments in the Ark of the Covenant that was in the Holy of Holies. And outside of that tent of meeting within the tabernacle was also a place for sacrifices and Aaron used to make sacrifices for the people and he would make those sacrifices once a year on the day of atonement um, the idea was that an animal had to die for the sins of the people once a year and they would have their sins forgiven if they repented and turned to God and the animal would die in their place taking their place and so when we hear uh, the word high priest we probably think of him automatically but what's interesting here in Hebrews is the writer of the Hebrews goes to a high priest that predates Aaron. And, I'll, t and I'll, I'll tell you why that's the case if we look back at chapter 7, verse 1. Uh, if you go back to chapter 7, verse 1, you see the such a high priest that the writer of the Hebrews is talking about. Let's read from verse 1, chapter 7. This Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of the God Most High. He met Abraham during uh, returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First, the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness. Then also, king of Salem means king of peace. Without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, resembling the son of God, he remains a priest forever. So this is a high priest that existed before Moses. And interestingly, this Melchizedek is actually blessing 
Abraham, who is the father of the people of Israel. So before even the people of Israel begin, we have this high priest of the Most High God, Melchizedek. Uh, he's described here as the king of Salem. Some people think that might be Jerusalem. Uh, it might not be Jerusalem, but he is the king of Salem. And he is, as says here in verse 1, he's the, mo- the, the priest of the Most High God. Now, this story that's being described here in chapter 7, verse 1, is actually a paraphrase of Genesis 14, where we see the story of Melchizedek uh, being described. Now, if we go back to Genesis 14, let me set the scene. What's happened is the Canaanite kings are in possession of the land. Remember, it's before the Israelites come into the land, way before it. And Abram's gone into the land that is promised to his descendants. And Abram's living in the Canaanite lands. He also has a relative, Lot, who is living in the land with his family. His nephew, Lot, is living at Sodom. Now, within the Canaanite lands, uh, all of a sudden there's an invasion from who are described as the four kings of the east and the four kings of the east come into canaan and they they pillage and they take people and they take plunder and 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 defeat the canaanite kings and then they leave and they take their plunder with them and when abram who hasn't been called abraham yet he hears of this defeat he decides to ally himself with the canaanite kings and he goes and attacks the four kings of the east and he's able to win victory And when he wins victory, he actually rescues Lot and his family and they go back to Sodom. Now, the story uh, we pick up here in verse 18 is when Abram is coming back after his victory and he meets this mysterious Melchizedek that is described in Hebrews chapter 7. Here in chapter 14 verse 18 of Genesis, this is what is written. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of the Most High God, and he blessed Abram, saying, Blessed be Abram by Most High God, creator of heaven and earth, and praise be to the God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. Then Abram gave him a tenth of everything. So there you see the story of Abram meeting this mysterious Melchizedek, who's described in such fantastical Uh, categories in Hebrews chapter 7. So who was this Melchizedek and what is the purpose of his story being placed in this story? Well, let's have a look at some of the things that come straight out of Genesis 14 to start off with. He's the king of Salem, so he's a king, but he's also a priest. So straight away, that's interesting, isn't it? Because Jesus is a king and he is a priest. And so if we read the Old Testament through the lens of Jesus, we're already starting to think to ourselves, oh, Maybe Melchizedek is a type of leader that Jesus is going to actually be when he comes along. Another really fascinating piece here in verse 18 is that when King, uh, the king high priest Melchizedek comes out to bless Abram, he gives him bread and wine. And many people have found that a fascinating parallel between Jesus and the Last Supper when Jesus in the Last Supper gives bread and wine to his disciples. So there seems to be a super tie in there. So much so that some some people have argued is Melchizedek a Christophany a Christophany is what people a term people use to uh, a possible um, presentation of the pre-incarnate Jesus where he appears in the story could this be Jesus himself coming to bless Abram because he's giving bread and wine and is that what the writer of the Hebrews is suggesting in chapter 7 when he talks about Melchizedek being someone who has no beginning and no end, has no father or mother, no genealogy? It's interesting there that it seems like uh, there's godlike qualities being 
put on Melchizedek. But what I want to say today is uh, I don't think Melchizedek is a Christophany. He's not a pre-incarnate Jesus coming to Abram and giving him bread and wine. Who he is, is though, he is a high priest. And the purpose of the writer of Hebrews putting Melchizedek in the story is to say he is a high priest. He's not God, but he is higher than Aaron because he exists before Aaron. And because Melchizedek is more important and comes before Aaron, so Jesus is linked with Melchizedek, not Aaron, as a high priest, saying that Jesus is more significant than Aaron and the new covenant that he brings in is more significant than the old covenant of Aaron. That's the big picture that we're looking at. So here is um, Abram meeting Melchizedek. And interestingly, Abram gives him a tenth of everything. And this is, again, to reinforce how great Melchizedek is. So Melchizedek is greater than Abram because he offers him a tithe. And because he offers him a tithe, we're again meant to imagine that Melchizedek is even greater than than Aaron because uh, even the um, ancestor of Aaron is giving a tithe to this great Melchizedek. So who is this Melchizedek and why is he in the story? Obviously, we're starting to put that together already, but I want to tease that out a little bit more by looking at how King David talks about Melchizedek later in the Old Testament in Psalm 110. Now, Psalm 110 is one of the most cherished psalms in the whole of the uh, book of Psalms and much loved and much quoted in the New Testament. And in Psalm, uh, sorry, in Hebrews 7 and 8, the writer is going to actually quote uh, Psalm 110. And this is what it says. King David writes this prophetic psalm and he says, The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will extend your mighty scepter from Zion, saying, Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your troops will be willing on your, uh, will be willing on your day of battle. Arrayed in holy splendor, your young men will come to you like dew from the morning's womb. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. So here we have a prophecy about Jesus. When the Lord says to my Lord in verse 1, that is David saying the Lord God, Yahweh, saying to my Lord, uh, talking about Jesus, sit at my right hand. Now if we go back into um, chapter 8, of um, Hebrews, we read this in verse 1 and following that we've already read. We do have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle, set up by the Lord, not by a mere human being. So now we're starting to understand what's happening in chapter 8. The high priest being alluded to there in verse 1 is Melchizedek, and Melchizedek is being described as greater than Aaron, and in Psalm 110, David is linking this new Lord who is sitting at the right hand of the Lord in heaven as a priest in the line of Melchizedek. So here we're told in verse 2 in chapter 8 that the sanctuary, the true tabernacle that is set up by Jesus is not made by a mere human being and so as a result is superior. Now, we were just talking a minute ago about the fact that the people of Israel, when they escaped out of Egypt, were commanded by the Lord uh, to create a tent of meeting, a tabernacle that they carried around with them, and that would eventually be uh, replaced by the temple on Zion, Mount Zion in Jerusalem. And that man-made tabernacle, whether it be a tent or a building in Zion, is set up by mere human beings. 
The tabernacle being spoken about in chapter 8 is a superior tabernacle because it is set up by the Lord God himself. So the idea here is that Jesus is a true high priest in, in the line of Melchizedek, greater than Aaron. And that means that his tabernacle is greater than Aaron's. Now in verse 3 it goes on to say, Every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices, and so it is necessary for this one also to have something to offer. If he were on earth, he would not be a priest, for there are already priests who give prescribed uh, gifts prescribed by the Lord. They serve at the sanctuary that is a copy and a shadow of what is in heaven. Now what's got taking place there is that we're told that Jesus is not like a priest in the line of Aaron. He steps out of that line and he is greater than Aaron. And that's why he's connected with Melchizedek, because Melchizedek is not actually in the line of Aaron. And the priests give the gifts of the, the animal once a year at the Day of Atonement so that the people's sins may be uh, dealt with once a year. Well, Jesus' gift, Jesus' um, offering is far greater than the shadow or the copy that was being dealt out by the earthly high priests of the tribe of Israel. Jesus' is, um, is much, much more important. It goes on and says this, This is why Moses was warned when he was about to build the tabernacle. See to it that you make everything in according to the pattern shown on you in the mountain. You see, the tent of meeting was actually a pattern of heaven. And what we see in chapter 8 of Hebrews is Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God in heaven on the throne. And so now Jesus is in the heavenly tabernacle and he's uh, superior to the earthly imitations, whether it be a tent or a temple. Continuing on from verse 6, we read, But in fact, the ministry of Jesus has received is superior to theirs as the covenant of which he is the mediator is superior to the old one, since the new covenant is established on better promises. So you can see how this argument is starting to build. Jesus, like Melchizedek, is superior to Aaron. His tent of meeting, his tabernacle, is superior to to the tabernacle made by human hands. And now we're seeing that the agreement that God makes with the people of Israel at Sinai is the first covenant that is made through the giving and receiving of the Ten Commandments and the initiation of the Day of Atonement, which is also known as Yom Kippur. And that Day of Atonement is actually showing the people of their need for the forgiveness of sin, that sin leads to death and that the death of an animal can be in place of the people so that if they trust in God, their sins can be forgiven because of the death of an animal. Well, Jesus' sacrifice is far superior because as high priest in the line of Melchizedek, Jesus goes to the cross and offers himself as a sacrifice. Now, we call that penal substitutionary atonement, meaning that sin requires a cost. Uh, a penal is meant to uh, take our imagination to the penal system, um, to the court system, where... Um, something that's wrong is judged as, as wrong. So our sin is judged as wrong. But the substitution of Christ means that we don't have to pay the penalty we deserve for our sin. But unlike the Jews, instead of having to repeat that penal substitution every year or that sacrifice for sins every year, we in Christ have that once and for all. So when Christ dies on the cross, he makes those famous, that famous statement, which is, it is finished. So that is his sacrifice once and for all. And the atonement section of that means that uh, a good way to understand that is it's like an at one The reason that people used to celebrate Yom Kippur 
with uh, a festival called the Festival of the Tabernacles where they set up little tents and they'd, they'd have like a festival after the Day of Atonement is because they celebrated the fact that their sins were forgiven. They understood that sin leads to death, but they didn't have to suffer death as a punishment for their sins because of the animal that was sacrificed. Whereas with Jesus, we can celebrate the atonement or the at-one-ment that we can have with God if we trust in the sacrifice of Christ. By asking for forgiveness of our sins, repenting of our sins, we can put our trust and faith in what Jesus has done on the cross and he can actually save us. And this is described here as more superior to the, to the old agreement that God has. So we have the old agreement based on Aaron and the new agreement or the new covenant that we have with Jesus. And so in effect, Judaism has been replaced by Christianity in that true people of God put their faith in Jesus Christ. Now it goes on in verse 7. For if we had done oh sorry, for if there had been nothing wrong with the first covenant, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people and said, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I'll make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they did not remain faithful to my covenant, and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. But this covenant that I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord, I will put my laws in their minds and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbour to say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will know me from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. And so here we get this beautiful celebration of the reality of the new covenant. So let's unpack some of that new covenant briefly. So God is speaking here. This is a quote from Jeremiah through the prophet Jeremiah is speaking to the people. There will come a day where I don't just write my law on a tablet like the Ten Commandments that I gave to Moses, but I'll write the law on the hearts of my people and I'll write the law on their minds. And that's a reference to the Holy Spirit. See, when we become a Christian, God gives us the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit gives us a new nature and we are transformed from the inside out. So the people of Israel were under an old covenant that wasn't as good as the new covenant because the old covenant was not a covenant that changed them on the inside. In fact, God only poured out his spirit on the leaders of the people of Israel and on the prophets in the Old Testament. But in the last days, in the New Covenant, God has poured out his Holy Spirit on all who believe. And so we have this wonderful privilege of being in a New Covenant that is established and we live in the time after the establishment of this New Covenant where the laws of God are, are written on our minds and written on our hearts. And this gives us this great new opportunity to live a godly life. Now, we are righteous because of uh, the fact that Christ died for us and he paid for our sins so that we are forgiven. And he gives us a new nature through the Holy Spirit so that we might live for him instead of live for ourselves. And so the new covenant is a new life. It's a new lifestyle. It's a new spiritual reality. Now, interestingly, with Melchizedek, so many people have been fascinated by him because they've been trying to work out, is this guy a real human person in history or is he some kind of spiritual metaphor or is he some sort of spiritual entity? In fact, after Psalm 110 that we read today, 
during the period of time um, after the Old Testament even was finished and the canon of the Old Testament was completed, between the beginning of the New Testament and the end of the Old Testament, the Jewish thinkers were thinking over and over about who is this Melchizedek. He, he isn't described with a genealogy in Genesis. All the other characters are given a genealogy. In other words, where did he come from? What was his family line? There is no genealogy for Melchizedek. There's also this interesting thing where his mother and father aren't told to us. Uh, again, referenced in um, Hebrews 7 where it says he had no mother or father. But interestingly, they're not described there. And then there's this idea of like did he have a beginning and an end like where did those kind of ideas come from that were spoken about in Hebrews 7 well interestingly the writer of the Hebrews knows that the people of Israel had been speculating about Melchizedek and up to the time of writing of Hebrews there were different theories running around the Hebrew community about who this Melchizedek was Um, I've got a, a few of them just to highlight for you to show you how people were trying to work out who this Melchizedek is and ask this question of what does it mean to be spiritual and human. Let's have a brief look at some of these. Uh, first of all, there was a community at the time of writing of the Hebrews that pre-existed a little bit from about 50 BC to 50 AD. It was called the Qumran Society and they lived in uh the the Dead Sea area. Now, when the Romans came into their area, they hid a lot of their writings in caves and they were only discovered in the 1950s, over nearly 2,000 years after they were hidden. And in those scrolls, we get some really interesting writings. We get the whole copy almost of Isaiah. We get other materials, which is really fascinating. But one of the things that happens in those writings is we see some contemporaries of... Uh, the time who were trying to work out who Melchizedek is. Now, in what is known as Cave 11, because it was the 11th cave found, they found some writings about Melchizedek that they've called 11Q Melchizedek. And interestingly, these uh, writings have some theories about was Melchizedek spiritual or was Melchizedek a historical person? And in the Dead Sea Scrolls, they tended to think that maybe Melchizedek is coming directly from heaven. See, they're trying to resolve this idea, can a human being be you know, human and spiritual? And they're saying, well, Melchizedek couldn't have been both, so he must have been spiritual. So he comes from heaven. They believe that he was the general of the heavenly armies, visible and representative of God, redeemer of the people, and they believed that he made his appearance, interestingly, on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, indicating his priestly role, and they referred to him as Elohim. But not only was it the people of Qumran that were speculating about that, we also get some writings that aren't part of the Bible but were commentaries or midrashes that were written by um, rabbinic leaders uh, of Israel around the first century AD. And there's one of these commentaries on Genesis 5.21 that postulates that maybe Melchizedek was actually... Uh, related to Noah and came before the flood. Because the Bible doesn't actually say where he comes from, they started to try and come up with theories. Well, maybe he was um, a brother of Noah. They come up uh, to Enoch, the writer of to Enoch, wonders if maybe Gabriel actually took Melchizedek away when the flood came and then brought him back again after the flood to establish some kind of priesthood. Now, obviously, that's fantastical. But again, you see this sort of search for, is, is Melchizedek just a human being or is he somehow spiritual interestingly philo another jewish writer he makes the comment that melchizedek is the king of peace because he's described as coming from salem 
the uh, definition of Salem is peace and God's own priest. And he's sort of heading towards that whole idea that he's maybe more uh, mythical and spiritual. Whereas Josephus, another writer at the time, he focuses more on the fact that Melchizedek is a Canaanite chief, a righteous king, but a historical character. So we're left with this uh, question of whether Melchizedek's a historical figure or a heavenly figure. And what the writer of the Hebrews is saying is he is a historical figure, but he's pointing to a heavenly figure. And the fascinating thing about Hebrews is that we get this clear understanding of Jesus because of this Melchizedek being a man who was a superior high priest. Well, Jesus is superior and he is a heavenly man. He's not a man or a spiritual being. He is both. And the great thing is about that is that when we see uh, in chapter, um, sorry, let me just find my place, um, in chapter 8, verse 13, the writer says, by calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete is outdated and will soon disappear. What is outdated about the Old Testament covenant is that it's only written on tablets. It's not written on the hearts and the minds of the believers. So what we need to pause and understand is that Christianity is actually a new covenant that uh, is actually giving us an at-one-ment with God based on the sacrifice of Jesus, our great high priest, who is securely superior than anything else and is so new that not only the old Jewish covenant but also all our old lives are actually obsolete as we come into a relationship with Jesus. Because all of us enter into this new spiritual reality. When we become a Christian, we uh, don't become God, but we actually have God live in us and actually have a new spiritual identity. What does it mean to live in a spiritual identity? Well, what it does mean is to understand that the great high priest, Jesus Christ, has written his laws on our minds and on our hearts. And so, yes, we're still sinful. Yes, we still live in this world and we still fall short of the glory of God. But we can have victory over sin because we have the Holy Spirit at work in our hearts. In 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter says that the Holy Spirit is sanctifying us to be more like Jesus. We're encouraged in Philippians chapter 2 to imitate Christ in his humility. Jesus himself has compassion and we see that we can actually have the same compassion as Christ if we trust in him and are forgiven of our sins. And then the work of the Holy Spirit actually means that we become people who are spiritual. The beautiful reality today is that despite all the external things that are going wrong, and there are lots of things that seem to be going wrong at the moment, we can take great encouragement and store in the fact that we have the Holy Spirit. And he is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. We have a new hope that is better than the old hopes that we used to have. We may have hoped in our government leaders we may have hoped in our military we may have hoped in our physicians to cure us and as much as those things can be helpful nothing can come close to the all-surpassing security that we can have in the lord jesus christ who holds us in his hand and he will never let us go last week paul uh, explored how the writer was encouraging the readers of the hebrews not to go back to their old ways that going back would be like crucifying christ again And when you think of the context he was speaking into, speaking to Hebrew people who might have been tempted to go back to their old covenant and then somehow put the Christian covenant into it, he was encouraging them not to do that. You need to leave the old and go to the new. 
And again, that's the message we're getting here in Hebrews chapter 8. So in the 1970s, we saw the end. It took a little while for us to understand that in 1981, 1982, that the 70s was over, but it was. And that 1980s was completely different than the 1970s. And what we get here is a similar idea. The old covenant is gone. My encouragement for you today is have you let go of your old self? Have you let go of your old life? And have you let go of any other hope other than the Lord Jesus Christ? What does it mean to explore a new life and the new covenant in Christ? Well, Hebrews is going to continue to lead us on a journey that helps us to continue to unpack that over the coming weeks. And my prayer for you today is that you'll be encouraged that the Lord Jesus has given you something new that is so powerful that nothing that happens to us in this world can ever take us from him. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you very much, Stu. Um, must have been a lot of jumping between Old Testament and New Testament in there when you were preparing for that one. Um, my kind of first thoughts were, well, one question I wanted to ask, did you end up getting a new pair of pants back in the 80s? I did eventually, yeah. I think I had to go go for the rest of the school term or, or year, I think. I can't remember. But, yeah, I wore, I wore some flares for a little while when they were out of date. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Did you, uh, did you have a pair of flares there, Fee? I... Yes, I did. <laughs> I did. But yes, venture. I'm sure my mum took me to venture and got me a new pair. Oh, is that where you get them from? Well, back in the 80s, that's where you went. Oh, okay. Venturing Caring Bar. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Wish it was still there so I could go get a pair. Um, uh, my first question was um, a really interesting link between all the way back in Genesis. Melchizedek, thank you. Um, uh, he um, he used bread and wine, which mm. is really interesting. That happens in the Last Supper, mm. and obviously, um, where just before Jesus goes to the cross, that's mm. where that's his last meal. Mm. Uh, I was just wondering if you can talk about the link between that. Is it a real uh, like a full circle thing? Is like he's he's bringing the new covenant in? Is that why there is such a link between those two? Yeah, I think there's a link between Jesus and Melchizedek there, the priestly role that's superior to Aaron because the because Aaron didn't offer bread and wine in, in the same way as Melchizedek did. So that's a, a direct one there. Mm-hmm. But again, I think what Melchizedek's there for is, unlike what all the intertestamental authors were thinking, Jesus is clearer when we see him as the, the, the new high priest in the line of Melchizedek. It's really interesting that in the rest of Hebrews, um, the writer of Hebrews compares Jesus to Aaron. He's greater than Aaron. He's greater than Moses. Mm. He's greater than angels. But here he says he's in the line of Melchizedek. And I find that really fascinating and interesting. And and it's meant to say that basically the, the big idea is just that his new covenant is superior to the covenant that Aaron put in place. Yeah. So it's not, a, it's not a mishmash of new things into that covenant. Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um uh, you referred to it yesterday as a Frankenstein of covenants, which I think is <laughs> a cool way of thinking about it. There's a real finality also to how the writer is telling the Hebrews this, I thought. It's, um, and I think it seems to be representing the finality of Jesus' atoning work on the cross. Fee, I'm just wondering if you find that when you read that in the Hebrews or you hear about it, is that comforting to you to know that there is a finality to it? Or is there a temptation, do you think, amongst some Christians to add to what Jesus has done? Yes, I think there's a real comfort um, just knowing that grace, that there's, that there's nothing that we can do to earn our salvation. And so living, living in that grace um, is fantastic. 
Yeah, what do you reckon, Stu? Do you agree? Yeah, I think so. I, I think that um, uh, most of us living uh, in Sydney probably don't have Jewish heritage, although some of us do. Karen does. She's got Jewish heritage. So I don't think necessarily the temptation for us is to go back to the known of the Jewish old covenant, which would have been the case for the Hebrews. But it's a reminder of us not to go back to the things that we knew and to try and blend Jesus with our lifestyle we had before we were a Christian, but actually to be prepared to give up our old past and to go into this new spiritual life and really dive into it and explore what it means to be a Christian. And that was something you spoke about on uh, the Shock Absorber that we recorded earlier, was that um, let's not allow the culture to inform how we're talking about Jesus, but allow Jesus to transform and, as it says in Romans, renew our mind mm. so that we can speak to people about Jesus regardless mm. of where they're at. So I think yeah. that's cool. Yeah, we talked about uh, Romans 12 where Paul says, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Mm. Don't conform to the pattern of this world. And I think that's a similar idea as as Hebrews 7 and 8. You know, don't be conformed to the old patterns. Embrace the new. And that can be a bit scary because it's like, what does that mean? What does it look like? And one of the things I want to encourage us to do during COVID is to continue to share with each other what it does look like for you, what it does look like for me. What does it mean for me to be a Christian and fight against sin and have victory over sin and uh, what does it mean to be to slowly grow to become less selfish and more aware of other people's needs and and love them and delight in new things instead of delighting the old things? Yeah, I think that was really cool that um, you also brought up um, a point about uh, early today um, about church planning and that let's not um, let's not go out into the world or we can't really go out in the world much at the moment, but let's not go into the world in a, a fear of what's going to happen, but go in a fear of experimentation and wanting to be able to help other people and, and having that renewed mindset of going like, how can we bring Jesus to people, whether it is during lockdown or not during lockdown. I think mm. that we're, we're f- you, you talked about your brother Ike in um, mm. Bawarana saying um, that he is thinking that it's it's putting the focus on Jesus. It's making mm. us realize what's really, really important. And it is, we 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 can put our trust in, um, like you said, physicians and the government and all that kind of stuff. But the, most of all, it's Jesus, and he like supersedes everyone, just like he mm. supersedes Melchizedek and yeah. um, Aaron and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. So I, uh, Isaac is a friend of mine who lives in Brewarren. He's an Aboriginal pastor in Brewarren. I've known Isaac for 20 years. And uh, I, during the week I heard that there were some cases in Brewarren and I was a bit worried. So I rang Ike just to see if everyone's okay. And Isaac said at the moment, time of recording, um, the two cases that were reported in Brewarren were actually people whose residence is in Brewarren, but they were elsewhere when they got sick. So it's not actually in the town itself. But Isaac was saying that he's praying for and encouraging everyone in the town to get vaccinated and it's a good idea and that some people were a bit worried about getting vaccinated. And so, you know, this teaching of Hebrews here isn't saying don't trust in vaccination, don't trust in doctors, but put your ultimate trust in Jesus. And the way Isaac reflected on that last night I thought was really a great way of doing it, which was, you know, he's got vaccinated and he's uh, his family are getting vaccinated, but he's also realising that in this time... Uh, it, it's drawing him closer to Jesus and he thinks Jesus wants us to trust him more and rely on him more and he's drawing us to him, which I thought was a fascinating perspective to at the one time think, yes, it's a good thing to get vaccinated because God's given us doctors who've given us this medicine against this terrible disease. But at the same time, he's wanting us to grow in our relationship with him. And Isaac said that far more articulately than I just did, <laughs> as he always does. But yeah, that spiritual awareness that what is happening spiritually is that we 
we can keep growing in our relationship with God even through this time. Let's not put that on hold until COVID's over and we go back to church, but let's keep leaning into Jesus during this time mm. and finding ways to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, as we've uh, called the series, Jesus is better. Um, thanks for joining us, guys, for the sermon. And um, we're going to now move on to prayers. And we'll be bringing that to you right now. I miss all of your faces, um, even the faces that I don't usually see at Kiriwe. I miss those too. Um, I'm really glad that we can still get together virtually, even though we can't get together physically. So let's spend some time together in prayer now. Dear Heavenly Father, just give you thanks uh, and praise for our time together this morning. Um, I thank you that even uh, though we are not able to meet physically, that we're able to meet uh, virtually. I give you thanks for um, the digital uh, team and for all their hard work, um, not just um, on the weekends, but during the week, um, working to put together um, engaging and um, spiritually fulfilling content. Lord, we just pray um, thanks for our frontline uh, workers who are currently um, looking after us all um, during this um, pandemic. Uh, we pray that they would know your strength, um, Lord, that you would be keeping them sustained. And we just thank you uh, for the service that they are giving to us at these tough times. Lord, we pray uh, for our kids. Um, we just um, give you thanks for um, the youth and kids at uh, leaders and for all um, the hard work that they're doing to make sure that uh, again whilst um, the kids may not be able to meet together that they can still have um, a connection and learn more about you. Uh, we thank you uh, for their uh, imagination and innovation and, um, and real dedication uh, to uh, serving you and, uh, and bringing uh, your word to our kids and we just give you thanks for that. Um, Lord, we just pray um, for those who are known and unknown to us who are sick and struggling. We think in particular for those people who um, are isolated and alone. Lord, we ask that they would know uh, your presence and that, uh, and that they would seek uh, not only to, to call out to you uh, in prayer, but to reach out to um, us as a community and that we would be there to uh, support them. And finally, Lord, we thank you for Jesus who changes everything. We thank you uh, for his, his teaching, for his uh, perfect example of how to, to live um, as a follower of you. And finally, Lord, we thank you for his death and resurrection that changes everything for us, that um, is the reason that we meet together today. Uh, and the reason that we can bring these things to you. Amen.
for joining us today uh thank you to joy and fee for joining us um i've uh i'm almost finished leading lawyers look at the resurrection uh really not sure what that illustration is but you know we'll find out uh is it a judge's wig it is yes i think that's what it is it looks like the it looks like a skeleton of some kind it's a really bad drawing of it anyway we'll keep examining that um like all good lawyers do Thanks for the lend of that, by the way, Hayden Fox. We really appreciate it. Um, 
Fee, any any books that you're actually reading at the moment? You just said you finished Marion's book, which yes, you talked I about finished, um, at the start. Um, Tell the Mum Alive, yeah. and I'm I, I I think I'm going to start Corrie Ten Boom's Hiding Place. Really? Again, um, yes, I read it every couple of years. It's a favourite. Why do you read it every um, couple of years? Oh, I just find her testimony really encouraging. Um, her faithfulness mm. and um, the trials that she went through, and she just kept her focus on Jesus, which was amazing. Yeah, well, that's cool. I actually, I have that book too, and uh, it's quite a battered old version that I think I... So is mine. Someone, <laughs> someone lent it to me, and then I don't think I've returned it yet. Um, <laughs> it's always a yeah, way. Are you going to find a hiding place to read it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> During oh, lockdown? Good one, Joy. Um, <laughs> uh, Joy, uh, any books that you're reading at the moment? Uh, I'm just like I'm just about to start a book uh, by uh, Tim Chester called Enjoying God. Okay. And I thought, you know, in this sort of uh, as we're going through this and lockdown now getting extended again, that uh, it's easy to to lose that joy in life and in our faith in God. And uh, that would just be a nice. I haven't. I've had it on my shelf for a while and it was recommended to me. I'm looking forward to reading it just to, mm. you know, just to give me more reasons to find joy in God. I guess. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's cool. Well, yeah. uh, that's an encouragement to all How about you guys. You, Joel? Me? Yeah. Oh, I actually in the intro I said I was reading. I'm reading a book um, about John D. Rockefeller. Yes. Um, but I am. I have a bit of a process to consuming books now. So when I go through, especially nonfiction books, I underline them and then I'll mark the pages and then I'll go back and um, make notes on index cards of all of them. So I find that is actually a really good way to remember heaps of stuff rather than like reading an interesting book and then you're like oh that was good and getting rid of it it's like having a process really works um, I just wait for the movie <laughs> <laughs> well let me an encouragement to you Jai and as everyone else that's watching at home uh, maybe turn off the screen and pick up a good book like this one um, and <laughs> enjoy what's hidden in the pages whether it is uh, the bible or it is uh, a Christian book or a non-fiction book or a fiction book Hope you're enjoying your reading. Uh, guys, a reminder, we also have the traffic light system just to let people know how you're feeling. It's a really easy way to just drop in a text message that you're just not feeling great. If you know, put a red or an amber or if you're feeling good, put in a green put in a green dot as well. So we find that even as a staff team, we've been mm. using that. So that's really cool. Um, and also make sure you can check out all our other podcasts out on your podcast app or on YouTube. There's Chip Lunch, uh, the new episode of that just dropped with Tim Bilharts, who is uh, speaking about his favourite dead Russian on that, which you might want to check out. And The Shock Absorber, which is also coming out where we're looking down um, the different strategies or breaking down the different strategies that are being used to engage the youth uh, across the 20th century. So that's very interesting and how we believe The Shock Absorber is the, is the best way to approach that. Um, you can check that out too. But for now, let's finish up with a... One way. One way. Thanks, guys. <laughs>